child. You shouldn't be here. What are you playing? It's called Drafts. Looks like checkers to me. Proper name is English Drafts. Looks like straight checkers, Gramps. You think it's easy. Sit down. Let's play a game. I was hoping to play chess. More of a leader's game. Sit down. Play. Fine. I'll play black. What was that? That's called the Glasgow opening. How do you do it? Not today, Gramps. Show me. Not today. Especially when I'd rather be practicing the Sicilian defense. What's that? When white moves to king four and black advances, then knight to kb3. Knight? In checkers? No, in chess. A leader's game. The squares have names in chess? Yeah. It's not like these nameless squares in checkers, or drafts, or whatever you call it. Now king me. You suck at your own game, Gramps. How does this chess work? There's three rules in chess. Occupy center ground, develop your minor pieces, and move your king out the way so the queen can get busy, bitch. Teach me. Not today. Teach me. Not today. Keys to winning? You win by capitalizing on the strengths of each piece and making strong decisions with good timing. Teach me. Not today, old sport. Now play your checkers, or drafts, as you say. Your move, Gramps. Um, there. Wrong move. Crown me with these weak-ass checker kings. Look at the pieces sliding off. All pieces in chess the same, no? No, you answered your own question. They're all different. Pawn, bishop, knight, rook, king, queen, all unique. The pieces in checkers don't even have names. They're just called checkers. Most powerful piece in chess? The queen. Able to move any number of squares vertically, horizontally, or diagonally. Flexible, adaptable, dependable, likable, and always available. Board placement? White queen starts on D1 on a white square, while the black queen starts on D8 on a black square. We say queen gets her color, or the dress matches the shoes. Mama going dancing tonight, Gramps. Symbolizes what? A symbol of bold leadership. Great managers know you can't get the best out of people by playing checkers with them, treating them all alike, expecting the same things out of each and every one, like some generic checkers piece. But just like in chess, great managers discover what's unique about each person and capitalize on it. Capitalize? How? Your employees think different, learn different, move different, at different speeds, even network, network, network different. So a great manager recognizes and appreciates their differences and develops a strategy to optimize them. A seamless, easy way to plug each unique cog into a working system. Poor managers don't always value their small pieces. They often use smaller pieces to make themselves feel more important. But a great manager knows even the smallest piece in the system can one day be promoted to the highest piece. A great manager isn't some egomaniac power trip and control freak. A great manager connects to his employees and empowers them. And the best way to empower your people is based on their strengths. Their strengths? Weak-ass managers play checkers with their people. The great ones play chess. They connect with their people at their point of strength and pull them up the ladder. Game, I win. See how weak that sounds? If we were playing chess, I'd say checkmate. It means I've put the king in check. Feel the power in that word. You're gloating. I'm not. It was close. You call that close? Do you have eyes? Could have 
beat me sooner. I would if I didn't have to explain the whole dang game of chess and work and life to you. You're supposed to be mansplaining that to me. You know a lot for a six-year-old girl. I turned seven in May, and I'm a queen, Gramps, so respect my gambit. <sighs> Show me this chess. Testing. Testing. Check. Design your decade. An interactive podcast for the modern professional. Welcome to your journey to the C-suite. Welcome to another episode of the DYD Podcast, your mini masterclass in career-building greatness. I'm Roseanne Santos, bilingual keynote speaker, certified Gallup Strengths Coach, executive trainer, and if it's a queen's gambit, then why are there so many damn kings? And I'm Rio Rock, motivational speaker, marketing and brand strategist, actor, entrepreneur. And the secret to having it all in life is knowing you already do. Do you want to be good in life or do you want to be great? Understanding the difference between playing checkers and chess in life is the difference between being good and being great. So what's the Queen's Gambit? It refers to the oldest opening move in the history of chess. When white moves their queen's pawn to the middle of the board, then sacrifices its adjacent pawn in the next move. The gambit is trading a piece for control of the center of the board. Now, most gambits in chess are considered unsound against perfect play, while the queen's gambit is the exception. The queen's gambit was a 1983 novel by Walter Tevis that was recently adapted for the 2020 Netflix miniseries of the same name. The story is a tribute to brainy women, and it explores the life of a fictional female chess prodigy named Beth Harmon. The themes covered are adoption, feminism, sexism, substance abuse, and the differences between how men and women are treated in their career spaces. Men dominate the higher ranks of chess. Most grandmasters are male. There's never been a female world champion. And only one female has reached the top 10 in FIDE, which is the French acronym for the World Chess Federation. Pretty ironic for a game where the queen is the most powerful piece and the queen's gambit is the most powerful opening move. These trends aren't just limited to chess alone. Let's talk about what other career spaces have similar trends. Male dominance is also prominent in related fields, such as mathematics, physics, and engineering, which tap similar abilities. But what we're finding out is that part of the problem is a participation gap. Okay, back to chess for a second. In 2012, only 8.5% of rated chess players were female. In 2019, only 10.1% were female world wide and only 8.2% in the U.S. Less players in the game result in less leaders. But now what about all the other industries and career spaces out there? Cinema, the percentage of female writers, directors, producers, and cinematographers of top grossing films was 21% in 2019, only up 2% from 17% way back in 1998. It took until 2017 for a record-breaking six women of color to direct widely released feature-length films that year. The number of women holding top executive leadership positions in the United States cap out at about 24%. Last year, the number of women running Fortune 500 companies hit an all-time record of 37, which is only 7.4% of the Fortune 500 ranked businesses. And the reason is that women are less likely to occupy roles that lead to the CEO position. Almost half of all women in corporate jobs work in human resources. These numbers all come from ISS Analytics and Fortune, who track numbers and statistics for gender diversity, roles, and positions. Oh, 
And according to Fortune, only three of those 37 Fortune 500 female CEOs are women of color. Bed Bath & Beyond's Mary Winston was the first black woman to be a Fortune 500 CEO since Xerox's Ursula Burns stepped down a few years ago. And Winston was replaced with a permanent CEO, according to Fortune. No Latinas hold any CEO roles either. So if you are a female listening to this, you have to ask yourself a question. Do I want to be a CEO? And if so, what am I going to use to my advantage to get there? In order to be a leader, play chess and not checkers. You must recognize the unique role each player has on a team. This means you must take on the role of a coach and not a boss. Start doing this by identifying at least four qualities in others. The first, strengths. As we discussed in episode one, you must lead with your strengths. So too, then, it is your responsibility as a manager to help your team lead with theirs. We don't want to overfocus on what a generally good teammate is doing poorly. He can be disorganized or she needs to develop better time management skills or she is a control freak. No, instead, understand that your more disorganized players aren't disorganized. They require context and need a lot more information to make a decision. Your quote-unquote control freak is disciplined, not controlling. She dots her I's and crosses her T's. Viewing people from a strengths-based lens and not a deficit lens is what a good manager or coach does. Second is motivators. Leaders must figure out what motivates their team members. You've heard of love languages? It's not that much different. Good morale stems from you, the manager. Coaches don't just tell a player when they got a play wrong. They also give resounding shout-outs when it's a job well done. Is it verbal praise? Is it time with the leader? Is it gifts or an award? Everybody has something that motivates them and gets them inspired and ready to give themselves to the cause. Managers need to learn to give mini pep talks at any given moment. Personality. Go back to episode 7 about the three abilities, like ability, adaptability, and availability. These are all tied to personality. As I discussed in the last episode, players don't quit companies, they quit their managers. But if you manage like a coach instead of a boss, the outcomes are sure to be on the high performance end of the spectrum. It's the Manager by Jim Clifton and Jim Harder of Gallup outlined the top three things managers should shift in order to get the best out of their teams. First, they need to know themselves so they can better understand their own strengths, their own blind spots, and their own biases. Second, they need to know their employees' strengths, which I will get to in a minute. And third, they need to understand between coachable and innate traits. Finally, there's learning style. Something that I didn't discuss about the strengths finder in episode one is that each of the strengths is categorized in one of four domains, executing, influencing, relationship building, or strategic thinking. Strengths in the executing domain, like achiever, discipline, responsibility, and focus, indicate that you make things happen. You know who they are on your staff. You give them a project, and it is executed with sheer excellence and perfection. When teams need to implement a solution, they look to people with executing themes who will work tirelessly to accomplish the goal. 
influencing themes like communication and competition or self-assurance help you take charge, speak up, and make sure others are heard. When teams need to sell their ideas inside and outside the organization, they turn to the people with influencing skills to convince others. Why do you think social media influencers are so sought after? If you have an influencer helping you sell your stuff, it can have the Oprah effect, and suddenly business is better than ever. The relationship builders exude positivity, harmony, empathy, and adaptability. Sometimes these are strengths that get a bad rap in the business world. But I assure you that without people on your team who have these traits, you'd be in trouble. These are the folks who hold the team together, the glue, the Derek Jeters of a team. When teams need to be greater than the sum of their parts, they turn to people with relationship-building themes to strengthen their bonds. Finally, you have your strategic thinkers who are expert at helping you make better decisions and create better outcomes. When teams need to focus on what could be, they turn to people with strengths like ideation, strategic, analytical, and learner to stretch the team's thinking for the future. When a manager does all of this, and it is a lot, they can accomplish three things. They can save time and frustration. People who do their best work do it when they are best suited for the job that they are in. It makes them more efficient, and dare I say, it makes the work more enjoyable. Second, everyone becomes more accountable because they are encouraged to do the best in the areas where they already thrive, and that is great for morale. Third, the team becomes stronger. It's not about a well-rounded person. It's about a well-rounded team. What I am not so great at is of no concern because I have a teammate who has that area covered, and so on. These differences are worth celebrating. They are not worth griping about. An excellent leader's goal is to identify strengths and focus on them. A mediocre leader focuses on what's not working, harps on it, and breaks down morale. You know what that sound means. Top five tips for women determined to become a CEO. Networking, networking, networking. 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 Even when you don't need to. Build connections within your company and industry to help you advance beyond your current role. Those connections help you have a greater chance at landing a higher position both within and outside your own company. Establish yourself as an expert. Make sure your industry knows you and what your expertise is. Walk in your power and stop hiding how fabulous you are. Act like the CEO. You know how they say you should dress for the job you want, not the job you have? Same idea. Work like you are already the CEO and people will take notice. Strengthen your executive presence as we discussed in episode two. How you enter a room, how you communicate, and your appearance can work for or against you. Think about your goals and take up the space you need to show the world that you are here to stay. Consider hiring a coach. Getting coached can be a great way to accomplish that one key goal. A coach will keep you focused and on task while also helping you build the self-confidence you need to take on that C-suite. In addition, think about your personal board of directors a concept we'll discuss in a future episode. Becoming a female leader first entails understanding what has been working against women this whole time. Sarah Jane Leslie studied 30 academic disciplines in the U.S. and found some clues as to why there are, for example, fewer PhDs. It's based on beliefs, and these beliefs go way back to childhood. Young children internalize beliefs that men are more brilliant than women. A 2017 study showed that six-year-old girls in the U.S. are less likely to believe that girls are really, really smart. 
So they begin to avoid activities that are said to be for children who are really, really smart. So there we have it. Already an early start for the participation gap in chess. And later on, job roles that lead to high positions of leadership. In fact, in most arenas that are governed by brilliance culture, there are huge participation gaps. Physics and computer science are two more. But the list goes on, making it a difficult cycle to break unless you as a woman learn to think differently about how brilliant you are in comparison to your male counterparts. It's not about trying to outdo anyone, or sometimes maybe it is, but it's more about recognizing your value. The Women in Chess Initiative, put together by the U.S. Chess Federation, funds and supports tournaments that cater to girls and women. Emphasizing the importance of hard work over brilliance can also prevent some girls and women from simply bowing out the race. Not Particularly Beautiful is a project that uses a huge hanging chessboard where each square calls out bias statements to shine light on the role culture plays in keeping women out of certain spaces. There's something called a glass cliff where female CEOs are typically fired faster than men for not achieving the desired results. But did you know that according to a study of Fortune 1000 companies, women-led businesses earned investors a 340% return? What led to the return was more robust marketing teams, higher levels of publicity, stronger event planning, and greater online presence. Research also shows that female CEOs excel at running distressed companies where there are many problems that need to be fixed and restructured. The reason is that women are thought to have a better personality to manage a crisis from the standpoint of being empathetic, understanding, and intuitive. Women are shown to manage people well during times of stress, particularly turbulent times at their own organizations. So it's up to you as a woman to highlight these strengths on your resumes and in your job interviews, because no one will know if you have these leadership qualities unless you make it obvious that you do and that you're capable to lead as a queen among kings. And we'll wrap this queen's gambit up with the health tip of the day. Raspberries can be a little pricey, but if your health is priceless, then they are worth every penny. And here's why. Raspberries are high in antioxidants, which help prevent a range of health conditions, and they help your body expel toxic substances like those found in processed foods with high fats and sugars. Raspberries are also high in fiber. One cup alone has eight grams. Brain health. Experts have suggested that consuming diets rich in antioxidants can contribute to brain health. There is evidence that vitamin C and E may help protect a person's ability to think and remember information as they get older. Raspberries contain these antioxidant vitamins. Raspberries are also high in anthocyanins, which suppress inflammation. That inflammation can lead to cardiovascular disease. Other vitamins and minerals in these little berries include potassium, folate, and vitamin K. All of these benefits help regulate blood pressure, cholesterol, obesity, and constipation. Raspberries are also great for skin, eye, and joint health. And they taste delicious. So next time you're at the market, grab a packet or two. Your body will love you for it. And that's our health tip of the day. For LinkedIn services to boost that LinkedIn profile, executive coaching for those in corporate structures, or creative coaching for those in creative fields, contact us at coaching at designyourdecade.io. For podcast-related correspondence, contact us at podcast at designyourdecade.io. 
And we'd love for you to rate our podcast, subscribe and share on your favorite podcasting platform. Now we're playing a real leader's game. What was that? That's called the Scholar's Mate. How do you do it? Not today. And those things? They're called openings. Teach me. Not today. Teach me. Not today. Now pay attention. I just captured your rook. <sighs> I'm switching to Fortnite.